All right, Galatians 6, 11 through 18. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Pause. There's a lot of thoughts on why he wrote that. Why, why did he say that there? Some people say they had terrible eyesight, right? And so he couldn't see, so he just wrote big letters. I don't, I don't know that that's true because he didn't write that in any of other letters. Um, there, there's, there's some thought. But here's what I actually would think. Is, it makes sense. He probably actually had a scribe writing the book of Galatians to the church in Galatia. All right? And in all his other letters, he would always kind of like do a sign off, right? But in this letter, he's like, listen, I want you to know how serious I am. His tone for this whole letter has been nothing but serious. But he's like, no, I, I want you, look at how large the letters are. Like when I'm wanting to get your attention in an email, I might put it in bold. I might highlight it. I might use all caps, right? But I want you to see it. Why? Because I'm serious about what I'm about to tell you. And Paul, that's my guess. You're like, I disagree. Okay, we disagree. It don't matter. But, but I, I think that makes the most sense. It's almost like you can imagine him saying, give me the pen from the scribe. I'm finishing this thing out. And what you'll see is he just summarizes everything he's already said with a big old exclamation point at the end. And so he says, it, it is those, he's back at them, man, it is those, those Judaizers, right? Those people, oh, they want to make a good showing in the flesh. Who would, look at the word, force you to be circumcised. Well, that's religion. It'll force you. It's not a heart that wants to. You've got to do this. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So they want to brag on you so that they can escape some pain and suffering. Right? It's not even about you, it's about them. For even those who are circumcised, right, do not themselves keep the law. So they're hypocrites, right? But, but they desire to have you circumcised, why? So that they may boast in your flesh. Boy, they, they do, they want that on their belt. They want another notch on the belt. How many, how many people did you get circumcised, Joe? Well, Joe, hey, I got 15 this week, killing it. Right? That's exactly what's happening. I want to boast in how many people I'm getting to convert. And how do we show we got convert? We got this outward expression of religion. We got them circumcised. Oh, hey, great job. Paul says, but, but far be it from me to boast. He will boast. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Here he comes again. This reminds us of chapter 5. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, this rule, uh, the Spirit, walking by the Spirit of grace, right? Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. That's the text. Notice a couple of things, though. There's no request for, for prayer. Paul, I mean, if you look at all his other letters, he's, hey, would you, would you pray? He's asking for a request for probably some financial help as he continues to move forward in the gospel. There's none of that. There's no mention of, of personal greetings. For co-laborers at that church. There's no praise for the other churches or for this church. There's no fluff of any sort. There's no throwaway words within this closing. 
that Paul has. Each word is like a heat-seeking missile, and it is sent to, to blow up the argument of the Judaizers. That's what he's doing here. He summarizes all the major themes from the letter. And what are they? Essentially, it's one missile. And here it is. That salvation from beginning to end and everything in between is God's doing, period. You add nothing to your salvation except the need of it. Because if you say, well, what about I add faith? Faith is a gift because if you make it anything else, you'll brag on even that. Christ died for sinners. It's God's calling. It's God's plan. It's God's action. It's God's work. Therefore, it is God and God alone who deserves the glory for all time. Amen. That's Paul's point. I'm going to boast. I'm going to boast in that. By the way, this word boast, we talked a little bit about last week, but we're going to talk about it again. It means to glory in or to exalt in or to take pride in, in something, right? To, to rejoice, right? What are you known for? By the way, I've not seen the Steeler worshipers. Where are they at? Do you not have them in Greensburg? They have to be here, right? Well, no one's boasting right now. They're bums, <laughs> right? Like, I, by the way, I love football. I love the Steelers. But man, normally if they're doing good, last year I saw some Steeler boasters. Man, they were wearing their jerseys. Now they're all just walking around in shame. Hey, I hear Ben's going to retire, but we don't got anybody to replace them. Right? All human beings boast in something or someone because we love to compare ourselves to others. Right? Listen, if you don't believe me, there's a good way to do this and a fun way to do this. It happened at the Turkey Bowl last week. Right? There's some serious boasting happen. The only one who really gets to boast, in my opinion, is Hannah. Right? Why does she get to boast? Because this girl cut across the middle, and I threw, I thought was a beautiful, I mean, it's, it's gorgeous pass, kind of sidearm, spiral tight right there. She catches it, but she, she literally breaks her, her ankle. But here's the thing. She caught that ball. And she got that first down on a first down. So she could boast, but she was too busy screaming because it hurts to break bones. <laughs> yes, Eli, it is. Uh, yeah, and, and it was awesome, right? She, but she didn't even boast. But we were boasting, but that was all fun, right? But we all have the impulse to boast, don't we? If we can just be real. We do. It's, it's, it's in us. We love to compare ourselves with others just to see how we're doing. We like to see if we measure up to the competition, right? Um, by the way, if you don't believe me, and I know you all do because you're human and you've lived long enough, right? But just go peruse your favorite social media, right? If you don't think people love to boast, just go check that out, right? And what you'll see is you'll see just our culture is enamored with boasting, they're just so enamored. They will boast in their strength, their athletic ability, their good looks. By the way, Henry, can't help it. I see you right now. Henry's first play of the game at the bowl, he throws this ball. He goes, I'm the greatest quarterback ever. <laughs> he did. Second throw of that game, throws an interception. <laughs> and I was like, man, pride comes before the, the fall, buddy. And um, yeah, so anyway, but he did do pretty good. We love to brag about good looks. We love to brag about education, whether it's you know, and we're serious about education, right? Like, and we should be. Home, public, private. We will fight. We have tribes. We will throw things at each other. Here's, here's my thought on education. 
You should be involved in your children's education and whatever serves them best. Get them there and stay involved. There you go. And you're like, well, I don't like that. We want it to be at like a homeschool only church. I'm sure they exist. You should check it out. We did homeschool. We did private school. We did public school. We did the gambit. Pray for my daughter. (laughs) But I want you to know that in every one of those, we were involved in our life. And that's what matters. And we have some great teachers here in the public school that go to our church. And, and I would be thrilled to send my kid to go and be taught by them because they, they love, man. I can tell they love their students. They talk about their students. They pray for their students, right? And so, man, we just we got to stay involved in our children's lives. That's a little side note. We, we love to, to brag on titles, wealth, possessions, political parties, nation, ethnic background, on and on. And there's a good way to enjoy those things. But, but many times when it starts to become a boast about, like even nationalism, right? If you're a Christian, you, your nation is in heaven. Like I'm, I thank God for America, but America ain't God. Right? If it goes away, it's gone. Okay. My freedom isn't because of that, although I enjoy freedom because of soldiers who have fought to defend it. But many times, we just like to, we like to pick tribes, we like to fight, but often it's just a pathetic attempt to measure up. And now, by the way, people are bragging even on social media. So there's this, there's this trend now, we just we go the other end of the spectrum, and we, we brag about how jacked up we are, right? But can I just be honest? Like, even that's a joke, right? Because you're still trying to prove something. You're like, well, I'm, I'm not bragging about anything. No, you're bragging about you can't get your life together. Strange, but you're still seeking approval. You're still seeking people to say, yeah, you are a train wreck, right? But here's the thing, point one. Religion boasts in what it can do for God. That's the first point. That's, that's religion at its core. And you can see it in verses 12 and 13, right? Religion boasts in what it can do for God not what God does for the person, right? Uh, All religions of the world do this, by the way. All religions at their core teach works righteousness, okay? I do something, therefore I'm accepted by God, right? So in order to be saved, okay? So Buddhism, right? You You save yourself by ceasing all desire, which, by the way, you can't do. Hinduism, right? You save yourself by detaching yourself from the separated ego and making an effort to live in unity with the divine. And in that religion, there's, there's thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of divine. Just connect yourself to one. doesn't work. Islam, you save yourself by living a life of good deeds. And if you can't do that, there's other ways that are much more radical that you can then, quote unquote, save yourself. But once again, it's about you. How about New Age-ism? You save yourself by gaining new perspective through which you see how you're connected to all the things, right? I'm, I'm part of a tree. I'm part of a leaf, right? And, and I become divine oneness with this thing. And this is how I am then connected to the God of the universe. Wrong. About Taoism, you save yourself by aligning yourself with the Tao to have peace and harmony in and around you. Doesn't work. Orthodox Judaism, right? You save yourself through repentance, prayer, and working hard to obey the law. That also doesn't work. I was in Israel one time for the Feast of Tabernacles, and there was, there was a, gr- I mean, a group of like teenage boys that were Jewish coming through the corridor, and they literally almost plowed me and my friend over. It was like a herd of people plowing through the street. 
And they all had their eyes closed, and some of them were on bikes, like motorized pedal bikes. You've seen these things? And, and I thought, this is strange, because they all had their eyes closed. And I, so I, I have to know what's going on. So I start asking around, what was that about? They're like, well, they were just down at the Wailing Wall, and they were, they, that's as close as you can get to the temple. So they felt, I'm clean now, and they want to go hear this rabbi teach. And they don't want to sin between there and there. So they thought if they just closed their eyes, they could get from point A to point B and still be clean. And I thought, that's so sad. Because Jesus has died to to just cover all their sins, to make them new, and to give him and them power through the Holy Spirit. That's the law. They're just trying to save themselves. They're trying to get right with God. What all these religions and spiritualities have in common is they are focused on the externals. They're focused on behavioral modification as a way of self-salvation. That's what they're focused on, every one of them. The constant theme is that you must work hard to clean yourself up in order to save yourself, right? That is the theme. It's about what you do, about what you don't do. And, and, and man, I've seen this. We used to work with international students at the previous church that I would pastor, and we had like 38 of them we were connected with. And what I loved about all of them is, man, they're just humans made in God's image. But people who come from other areas of the world, generally, they'll dialogue about spiritual things like you and I will dialogue about like football I mean seriously they want to talk and so one day we had man we had this sounds like a joke it's not a joke but like we had a a Muslim in our home we had a Hindu in our home we had a Buddhist in our home and they're all sitting around the dinner table and we're all talking and 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 Tazir I'll never forget this guy he says "Uh, excuse me Mr. Scott He goes, how is it that you come to nirvana or how is it that you come to saving faith in your religion? This is what he says. I said, that's a great question, Tazir. It is. I said, do me a favor. Would you guys just go around the table and tell me how it is that you would come to faith? And so they did one by one. And every one of them were talking about things they had to do or not do. And they were all insecure because I asked them, I said, do you feel like if you die today, you're going to go? to heaven or nirvana or whatever your religion would call it and every one of them looked at me and said I have no clue I said can I tell you some good news and I just laid out the gospel one of them said it's too easy it's too easy one of them cried and said that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire life to this day I don't know that he actually believes though and the other one got angry the gospel Man, you will respond to the gospel. And they all did. Well, I want you to know, man, the false teachers in Galatia are teaching just another form of self-salvation. That's what they're doing. They don't worship the crucified Christ. Instead, they worship comfort. Notice it. That they may not be persecuted, right? That's why. And, And they worship approval, right? Because a good showing in the flesh so that they may boast. They want to brag on what they're doing. These false teachers are all about boasting and showing off. They are man-pleasers. They are enemies of the cross. They do not love Jesus. But if you were to meet them, you would think they do. You'd think, man, you're very serious. You would think these guys definitely love Jesus. They probably wore suits and ties, right? In contrast to all other religions of the world, though, the gospel repeatedly speaks 
in, a, in salvation in a very specific way. Jesus alone is our Savior. You and I have no hope of entering God's presence apart from the Lamb of God who came, shed his blood to take away the sins of the world. That's it. I trust him. Christ alone. See, see let's be ultra clear. I think that was clear. We need a Savior. We need, desperately need, a Savior. And there is a Savior. Okay? But, but that Savior is not us. You and I make horrible gods. We can't even, I can't even manage a garden. I've killed it all, right? Like, I plant it, it grows, there's a tomato, it dies. I struggle to manage my life at times. I sure cannot be entrusted to get myself to the presence of God and say, I think I've done it. We make horrible gods. But, but there's good news. There is a Savior. His name is Jesus. And, and the Jesus of the Bible, not the one you like to fashion in your own image. We have to come to the Word of God and let the Word of God crush every fake Jesus we like to make and put on our dashboard. He, he defines who He is. He tells us who He is. And He is so beyond what my words can put to thinking. Good? That's such a lame word to describe Christ. Amazing, still lame. Stunning, still lame. Our staggering tongues cannot come up with language to talk about how wonderful Jesus is. But we should try. Why? Because the, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, gospel, it just means good news. The message of Christ dying for sinners is about divine accomplishment, not human achievement. Get it right. Get it right, or you will always be walking around thinking you're something. You're all that in a bag of chips. Or you'll walk around thinking, I'm such a loser, how could God love me? And both are focused on you, but when we focus on Christ, what we realize is, I don't measure up. But Christ measured up for me. He's amazing. Thank God for Jesus. Thank, thank you, Lord, for sending your son. Religion makes much of man, whereas the gospel makes much about Jesus. That's the point that Paul's driving home over and over. The second point is the cross, the cross boasts in what God did for sinners, right? You see that in 14, the first half, 14a. He says, Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, those who boast in the cross put all their confidence in Jesus' life, death, and triumphant resurrection. That's what it means to boast in the cross. It's not just the cross. When, they say the, when the Bible says the cross here, it means all of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, right? Because if Jesus just goes to the cross, it's thrown in the ground, and he's still there in the Middle East right now and never triumphantly resurrected, you and I, we're, we're, just, we're just fools because we're worshiping a dead man. Many people have been crucified on a cross. Only Christ resurrected from the grave. Therefore, to boast in the cross is to boast in the gospel, right? You see that? So for, their, for our salvation, they're not... We, we don't trust in what we do or what we don't do, but we trust in what Jesus did. Jesus lived a perfect life. 
You and I have not lived a perfect day. I, I would bet we've not lived a perfect hour. We've not lived a perfect, can I even say a minute? Yeah, because we're broken. You're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Every day, every minute of every day, supreme. You're just not. If you think you are, you're a little delusional. At best, at best it's still muddled with sin. Even our best efforts aren't good enough. Christ, Christ the God-man is good enough for us. This is why Paul says once again, but far be it from me to boast. He says, except in the cross. Paul is saying that if you understand the gospel, if you understand this good news, you will exalt. You will boast. You will rejoice. But you will only do that in the cross of Christ. Does that sound strange to you? Seriously, does it? Think about it. If you have a church background, then maybe not. However, I want you to know it's a very scandalous thing to say boast in an instrument of death. It's very strange. If you grew up in the church, you might not think it's strange, but it's strange because the cross was designed and used to execute the worst of criminals. And it, and it was a slow, agonizing, humiliating way to die, to be executed, right? It was, it was so horrible that John Stott, in, in his book, The Cross of Christ, he quotes a historian, Cicero, and here's what he said. He said that the cross was so debased and unthinkable, such a death, that here's the quote. To bind a Roman citizen is a crime, okay? To flog him is an abomination. To kill him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him? What? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. See, the, the pain of crucifixion was so horrendous, is so horrendous, that the world had to invent a word to describe the pain. You know what that word is? Excruciating. That's where the word comes from, okay? Literally, the word excruciating means from the cross, that's what the word means. The earliest known depiction of the crucifixion of Christ is a graffiti, by the way. It was scratched in stone just years after the gospel was preached in Rome. And it was a rough sketch of a crucified man, okay, but with the head of a donkey. And a young man has his arm raised in worship with the letters etched reading, Alex Emeos worships his God, okay? So, so picture this, because what, what's that communicating? It's basically communicating that Christians gave their lives to worship earmuffs, an ass. An ass, like a donkey. That's what, it, it's scandalous. It's scandalous, but we, we will put them on our neck. We'll put them, I was walking here today. I saw one that you could like crucify a Smurf on hanging from a, a window right, is like, this is big, and it's in a car window, and you're thinking, you probably shouldn't have that there, it's a distraction, but I wonder, do they even love Jesus, or do they think it's a luck charm, because long before I ever came to faith in Jesus Christ, I had a cross around my neck, strange, that is strange, but culturally speaking, we don't, we don't think like this, right, maybe this will help though, what if I said, boast only in the electric chair, find that odd? How about boast or exalt in a gas chamber? Strange. Or how about lethal injection? Let's rejoice. You would all think that's crazy because that is strange, right? Let our only boast, our one joy, our exaltation be in the guillotine. Maybe I'm not hitting close enough home. 
Imagine for a moment that, that the Black Lives Movement had a noose for its emblem instead of a clenched fist for black power. Now, you would think that is strange. You'd think that is very, very strange. And Christians have adopted the cross as a symbol, the device that was used to execute the worst of criminals that the first century had. This would be gruesome. It would be strange. It would be insane if it were not for the fact that it's important. Why? The importance and the centrality of the cross is what led Paul to tell the Corinthians this when he had came to them. He said, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. He said that in 1 Corinthians 2.2. This is not because he was a shallow thinker. I mean, if you've read Paul, you know he's not a shallow thinker. This man thought deeply. He said, but all I've ever sought to know was Jesus Christ and that man crucified. That's my aim in life. I got no hope except that when I stand before God, the fact that he sent his son to die for sinners. I got no other chance of entering. I've done it all. And none of it was good enough. It was just a a handful of rags. It was just a waste. It was refuge. It was dung, he would go on to say in the book of Philippians. But over and over, he would say this. Listen, Paul is a gospel-centered man. I seek to be a gospel-centered man. I hope you will seek to be a gospel-centered people. And what that means is that you are a cross-centered people. That's what it means to be gospel-centered. It means to be cross-centered. He's putting everything else aside. He's boasting only in the cross. That's it. This means that for Paul, Jesus was not primarily a teacher, although Jesus was a teacher. This means that for Paul, Jesus was not primarily a healer, although he did heal. He was not a social justice warrior, although he did social justice work because he is God and he cares about all injustice. But primarily, this means that Jesus for Paul and must be for us, first and foremost, a savior, a savior, God almighty in the flesh, right? You you may be thinking, Dude, this isn't revolutionary. I've been to churches. I've heard the thing before, right? It may not be revolutionary for you, but I want you to know that. Many times in churches, we think, yeah, it's not revolutionary, so it's just so easily forgotten. Or my guess is better purposely ignored. Because this is, man, like over and over, churches shamefully, in many churches, just avoid the cross. I mean, you get it at Easter, right? Come come on Good Friday. We're going to talk about it, but we'll talk about it quick. It's a quick service because we want to talk about other things. I want, I want you to know, I, I knew a pastor at one time. Well, I still know him, and I uh, won't say his name because it's not a good thing as to what I'm about to talk to him about. We used to watch his kids, and have you ever heard of the resurrection eggs? You heard of this, right? You hide the little eggs, kids go and find them. My daughter loved this. They bring them back. They were all numbered. You would open them up. And as you'd open them up, you would tell the gospel story. And the la- one of the last ones, I don't know if it's the last one, you open it up, there's nothing in there. Ha! Ah, Jesus resurrected from the grave. Pretty cool, right? But you're teaching them the gospel, okay? I, this man comes to pick up his kids one day, and he says, hey, can we talk? I'm not a pastor at this time, just 
lowly dude working at Radio Shack, right? And I'm like, sure. He's like, hey, are you guys doing the resurrection eggs with our kids? By the way, his kids were older than my kid. Uh, so in case you think, well, maybe it wasn't age appropriate. Uh, wrong. Um, yeah, could you just not do that? Because we don't really talk a lot about the blood and the cross with our kids. And I'm just like, uh, uh? like I didn't know what to, what? Did he just say that? For real? He did just say that. It made me sad. We stopped watching his children and we stopped going to that church because that man did not love the cross of Christ. And we had other conversations just to verify. And you're thinking, no way, not a pastor. <laughs> oh, you're fun. I've been to too many of the conferences where you won't hear anything about the cross, but you might get a laser light show. Isn't that exciting? Not for me. I don't care. I want... I want I want Jesus put upon a cross, dying for sinners, triumphantly resurrecting from the grave, or I want nothing of what you have, period. That's the church that God is planting here. I want you to know that because you might be like, well, I'm not into that. That's okay. There's other things. But, but this is why, man, this is why people in many worship services have reduced it down to a motivational self-help talk. It's kind of like a TED talk with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in, right? It's like, but it's, you can do it, sermons. You, can, you can't do it. You cannot do it. That, that kind of preaching and teaching and culture is not good news for the Christian. I want you to know that first and foremost. Worse yet, it's an insult to Jesus. It's an insult to Jesus who willingly went to the cross and spilled his blood for our salvation. He's not impressed. I'm not impressed. I hope you won't be either. There's a reason that the earliest members of the church chose a method of execution as their symbol to which they would identify themselves with. That wasn't the original, by the way. They had a fish. They were called the way, all these different things. But no matter where they went, they could not avoid the persecution. So they embraced that which God sent his son to die upon. It was through the, the death of Jesus Christ that repentant sinners would be saved therefore they said that's our symbol we'll be a people of the cross you can keep on killing us but i want you to know something you can only kill flesh you cannot kill me because if you kill me you send me right to my lord where i will be forever so they embraced it this is why we talk a lot about the cross here I want you to know that because it changes everything the cross is good news for losers ha I am so thankful for that, right? It's good news for losers who cannot save themselves. I fit that profile. Kevin fits that profile, right? It's, it's not good news for winners who think they have a chance. That's religion. You don't have a chance. Way too many leave the church after a service and they think, do better, try harder. Wrong. It's exhausting. Christ did it perfectly. Trust Him. Trust Him. You won't leave with a swagger when you leave, but you leave with hope. You leave with hope knowing that no matter how bad I have jacked this thing up, I have a God who has done it perfectly in my place, and I'm trusting in Him. And I want to be like Him. Why? So you can get His love? Wrong. Because you have His love. This is the gospel. We won't move from it. We will not move from it. You come next week, it's what you're going to hear. It's going to be a different text. It's going to hear. Like, do you have one sermon? Yes. And I'm going to keep saying it in different ways. 
I want you to see this. Romans 3, 23 and 26. Listen, he's, he's, you can either turn there or you can just listen as I read. And I'll give a little narration as we go. Paul just comes out of chapter 1, chapter 2, and he literally, through the word of God, annihilates everyone. He says, for all have sinned. All. By the way, you know what all means in Greek? All. You're like, do you know Greek? No. But I do know that. <laughs> How do you know that? Because I know guys who know Greek. It just means all. For all have sinned. How many is all? All's everybody. Everybody except for Jesus. For all have sinned. That's you. That's me. That's everyone. We fall short of the glory of God. We are guilty people. We are a guilty people. Listen, in order for the good news to ever be beautiful to you, you better embrace the fact that you're not good. Good news ceases to be good if you don't embrace the fact that you're under the wrath of God, apart from Jesus absorbing it in your place. We are all guilty. But he continues, and are justified, made righteous, declared righteous. Therefore, you, all your sins have been paid for. You're, the penalty's gone. And you have gift righteousness because you have Jesus' perfect life in your place. All of this, he says, is a gift of grace. Are justified by his grace as a gift. What do you do with a gift? You receive it. You don't earn it. So you receive this through through what? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, here's Christmas. Who God put forward, sent, you could say, as a what? Propitiation by his blood. That's the cross. That's exactly what that means right there. Jesus came to be a wrath absorber. He came to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He came to willingly, for the joy that was set before him, go to the cross, stretch out his arms in love, receive the wrath that you and I rightfully deserve because we are sinners, but he takes it in our place, and therefore our sins, our debt is paid for, and he gives us his perfect life. How do you do? Faith. And that's what married the two together. But notice he continues, because it says to be received by faith, trust, right? This was to show or to display what? How important you are. Hashtag things the Bible doesn't say. Look at the text. This was to show God's righteousness, his perfection. Because of his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He isn't just up there saying, no big deal. No, literally, it's filling up. It's filling up. Now's the time, Jesus, go. Because I have passed over these former sins, and I have a record of them, and somebody's going to receive the payment that this sin deserves. Jesus goes. And why? It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just. God must be just. Can't he just say it's okay and rub our heads? No. For he's not a good and perfect God. And the justifier, though. He's not only the one who, who makes it right, but he is the one who, in doing so, makes a way for you to enjoy life with him who has faith in Jesus Christ. See, the cross is where wrath and where love, God is, is both vindicated, right? Like you got to get this. And both demonstrated 
and both express perfectly. It's where love and, and mercy and wrath, they kiss at the cross. God, I've been praying that you would see this. If you see this, you will boast in the cross. I promise you. If you have seen this, thank God, because it's only God who ever has shown you that. You didn't come up with that. He's kind to show you. See, the cross is a demonstration of both God's justice and his justifying love. He did not have to save anyone. And he would still be good. And yet, in his kindness and in his mercy, he sends his son so that his son may spill the blood that your sins deserve, that my sins deserve, so that we can come and enjoy life with him. Who's that for? Who's that news for? All sinners. You a sinner? Good. It's for you. This is mega love. The world looks at this and says, it's disgusting. I don't understand it. Why would God send his son? They call it primitive. They call it divine child abuse. Those who have been given eyes to see, though, call it sheer beauty. And they boast in the cross. And they love God all the more for it. Because this is the love of God expressed most perfectly in that moment. You boast in the cross. Get this, without Without a crucified Christ and a risen Jesus, we have nothing to offer the world. Nothing. And I sure wouldn't have come here to offer them nothing. But because of the cross, because of Jesus, because he's ruling and reigning and sitting at the right hand of the Father, we have the most precious gift to offer the world. And that's Christ. That's Christ. And ourselves as a representation of his love within this city. Third and final point. Look at this. Don't miss it. It's verse 15. New creations boast in the cross, right? But look, he says, for neither circumcision, let's say religion, counts for anything, or uncircumcision, you could say rebellion. Neither of those count anymore. What does count? A new creation. This is so, this is a beautiful text. The paradox of, of Christianity, get this, is that if you want to find life, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, okay? If you want to find life, everybody wants life. Everybody's searching for life, right? And they don't just mean like a heartbeat, but like meaning, purpose, life. If you want to find life, listen, Jesus says, you must lose it. It's the strangest thing in the world, right? Because in the world's economy, life precedes death. But, but actually, in the gospel, in God's economy, death actually precedes the doorway to life. We come and we take upon the, the crucifixion of Christ, and therefore we die. The cross always precedes new creation. Always. I'm dead. I've been nailed to a cross with Christ. It is, I have been crucified with Jesus. Look at Galatians 2.20. I hope you've all memorized it by now. If not, put that on your Christmas wish list and get to work. I, listen, I have been crucified, Paul says. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm dead, but I'm alive. That's right. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to have new life, right? D do you see, as a result of the cross of Christ, not only does Jesus take our sin, but, but we also take on his righteousness 
But we also get this gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been talking about for the last three weeks because that's what Paul has been talking about. In Jesus, we become new creations with new desires, with new longings, and with real power. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is now at work in all who believe. Do you believe that? Not to go and like, you know, rip up buildings like the Incredible Hulk and that silliness, although if God wanted you to do that, you could do that. That's not what it means. But it's power to walk by the Spirit, to love God with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your strength, to love your neighbor even though they're a jerk, like Jesus loved you because you're a jerk. So am I. You're like, did he call me a jerk? No, the Bible does. <laughs> That's power. That's power. And, and so here's the thing. That's, you, you could try to do that on your own, but eventually you're just going to get so frustrated with it. But you have real power because you are a new creation. You are new. Do you see why religion is so absurd? It's so absurd because it attempts to make bad people good. Right? Which is silly. The gospel creates a whole new life from the inside out. It's transformation. It's new. It's metamorphous. It's, you're no longer this little you know, fat, chubby worm. You're a butterfly. It's, you've metamorphed. You're something completely different. You're a new creature. Is that how we look at, at the gospel, at the Bible? This is what it means to be born again or regenerated, right? Which is, by the way, a supernatural transformation of the whole person. You're like, well, I don't feel like that. I know, your feelings lie. That's why you need truth. That's why you go to the Word of God. And you need more than just, and by the way, sometimes you just, this is all you got time for, but you need more than a cliche or a trite little saying that, that's found on Instagram. Although I like those. Sometimes they're very helpful for me just to, in a moment, be reminded of truth. But you need a, a bigger diet than that. If that's all you're living on, you're, you're going to be hungry and starving most days. So we feast upon the Word of God because when we feast on that truth, it transforms our mind, which then transforms the way we live. The way we live, right? Regeneration or being born again is a miracle that God works for us at the cross of Christ and in us by the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be a born-again people. So, let's notice what it accompanies, that new birth. For all who walk by this rule, okay? So we're just going to kind of go through them pretty quickly now because we're, we're slowly running out of time. I still do have time, though, which is a miracle. It's a Christmas miracle. So what does it mean to live by the gospel and live by the Spirit? Verse 14, second half of it says, New creations are dead to the world, and the world is dead to us. See that? by which the world has been crucified and I to the world. You see that? The world here refers to like this world order, right? Um, which is to rule us, right? It's, it, what, it's what used to rule us, whether it be pride or love of sin or reliance on work for my identification and for who I am, right? Or, or former opinions or habits or possessions. Most significantly, what we used to worship. That's what the world represents here. That's dead to me, right? And what did we used to worship? 
essentially a supreme love of self, right? Self-righteousness, self-promotion, self-justification. But the new creature, the new creation, those who are in Christ, they don't look inward now for their self. They look, by the way, you got to hear this because there's a world that's constantly putting it in your face that in is the answer. In is not the answer. In is the problem. You need to quit looking inside you for yourself. You need to start looking up for Jesus who died for yourself. Do you, you get this? Because it's, it's so prevalent, even in the Christian world right now, is there's this new self-actualization where they want you to start looking at you to find meaning and value and purpose. And Jesus says, look at me. Look at me. I will give you. I define what is meaning. I give you meaning. I give you purpose. So the new birth ought to bring about no longer looking out inward, but looking outward towards Christ. And so the world no longer rules over us, although it feels like it does. We're no longer enslaved to the world. We're no longer enslaved to sin, right? Even though there are times where it may feel that that's the case. The second thing is new creations enjoy a life of peace and mercy. Look at verse 16, the first part of it. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. See, the beauty of the gospel is so, it's a multifaceted gem. I, th- I feel like I've said that a lot. I do that sometimes. The beauty of, the beauty of, the beauty of. But, but it is, it's stunning. It's a multifaceted gem. Every angle you look upon this thing, it just becomes more and more beautiful. Is that in, here, so here's another angle, that instead of giving us what we deserve, which is, is the wrath of God in a real place called hell forever, God has given us Jesus. He's given us perfect righteousness. He's given us everlasting peace. He's given us mercy. He's given us Jesus who is our greatest joy. This is mega mercy. By the way, mercy is is not getting what you deserve because essentially it cancels the debt, right? That's mercy. I had a story there. Save that for another time. This kind of mercy, by the way, brings about peace. Jesus said this in John 14, 27, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is right before he's about to go to the cross. He's saying this to his disciples. He's saying this to his apostles. We don't have just some run-of-the-mill peace here. Jesus gives us his peace. Do you know right now that because you're in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are trusting Jesus for your salvation, that you have peace with God? That even when you sin, that in that moment, he does not turn into like a frowning, angry God towards you because all the wrath that was for you was laid upon Christ and it's all been swallowed up in Christ. Therefore, that even in the moment when I'm sinning against him, he's grieved, but his grace abounds towards you. His love, his mercy, all abounds towards you. He has no admixture of, of wrath and love for you. He has love for you. Wrath is gone. You have mercy, right? New creations are all Abraham's children, by the way. Heirs to all of God's promises. You see that in 16b. And as for all who walk by this role and upon the Israel of God. Listen, 
it, what, what is, there's so much that could be said about that. Keep coming back. We're going to say a lot about that, especially within our sermon series that's coming up for Christmas, which is like four sermons. So the last sermon is going to be talking about new creation, new heaven, new earth, right? It's the second advent when Jesus rips open the sky and he comes back, but this time not as like a six-pound, eight-ounce baby, but like as Jesus who's coming to rule and to reign, right? So there's a little teaser. Come back, hopefully. Unless you have a good church, go there, right? But here's the deal. Heaven is ultimately about getting to be with Jesus forever and getting to be with your brothers and sisters who love him forever with no sin, right? So new creation, right? We get all the promises of God. They all find their yes in Christ. The last thing we see is in verse 17 and 18, new creations are in a constant state of grace. Look at it. From now on, Paul says, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my bodies the marks of Jesus. That's another thing Christians get, by the way. New creations, you get to suffer. Well, that doesn't sound very cheery. Should have ended on something else. But that's what Paul says. I bear the, I, I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. I'm suffering for the sake of Christ, but all of it is just building up to love, to worship. And even if I die, that's real gain because then I get him. You can't really harm me. But then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Listen, the life of a Christian is not an easy life. It's not, but it is a life filled with grace and it's inexhaustible. You can never run out of the grace of God. It's constant, it's steady, it streams into your life all day, every day, and there will never be a day where you would wake up and say, God's like, nope, no more, there's no more. In a word, grace explains all the life of Christ for the new Christian, for those who are new in Christ, right? We live in a constant state of grace with God as our Father. And so if mercy is not getting what you deserve because it cancels the debt, then, then grace is getting what you don't deserve. And it fills up your account with a number that we don't even understand. It's an infinite amount. That's what grace is. And, and that is the gospel that Paul so desperately wants the church to just be birthed from, to live by, and to finish with. That's what we're seeking to do at For the City Church. So by God's grace, may we boast in Jesus, not the world, May we boast in the gospel, not religion. May we treasure Christ. May we make much of Jesus. May we boast in the cross and be unashamed of the gospel without being prideful jerks always talking about how better we are. No, because there is no room for that in the Christian life. The Holy Spirit, by the way, gives us power to do this. And so that's what I'm praying that he's creating at this church. And if you're like, well, I'm not there, well, keep hanging out, keep learning, keep growing, get connected beyond a Sunday morning, hi and bye. And if you're like, well, this ain't my spot, I hope you find your spot because everybody coming out of the whole COVID time is trying to figure out, can I, can I be a part? And I know there's so much complexity to that, but I want you to know you can't be the church apart from being a part of the body of people because you can't assemble with yourself. You, you can't. You can be a Christian. You can be born again and not part of a church. But we really have to 
We have to value gathering together, singing together, sitting under the word of God together, and doing all the reciprocal commands that Jesus commands, which is love one another and all the one another's that he has. I think this is a great place to do that. But if you're like, I got a better spot, then go there, but be there. And be a part of it. Because being a part of the church is belonging. Belonging. And so I hope this is a good spot for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Galatians. Father, we thank you for, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that, that it is in that moment in the good news of Jesus Christ, that, that all the burdens that we carry can just fall upon him. And that we now live in a constant state of grace, mercy, and love. May, may your mercy, may your grace, may your peace continue to abound in us. We ask in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.